1 John chapter 3. We will read verse 11 to verse 15. The Bible says there, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love his brother, rather whoever does not love, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Well, friends, we've been going through First John, and as we've been doing so, we have observed that this uh, book is on the subject of assurance of salvation. How we can know that we are individuals who are going to heaven instead of going to hell. We have said that this theme is very important for two reasons. One of them is that this is something that you dare not risk. There are a lot of people who will arrive on the judgment day thinking they are Christians when in actual fact they are not. And what's going to happen on the judgment day is that they are going to be completely shocked as God says to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you worker of iniquity. And to have gone through life going to church as you are here, apparently doing your best, only to be rejected by God on the final day must be the greatest calamity in the whole of a person's life. And yet the Bible here gives us a number of tests so that we can test ourselves, so that if we find that we, if we are deceived now, we can quickly do something about it in order for us to make sure we are truly saved. And the second reason why it is important is for our own effectiveness as believers. Because we can only be zealous about evangelism, zealous about serving others, zealous about extending the kingdom of God, if we know we belong to it, if we know we ourselves are saved. Because you cannot be offering to people what you yourself don't have. And so for these two reasons, we have said it's important that we use the tests that are in this particular book. In chapter 3, the first section up to verse 10, we had noticed that it was using the moral test. In other words, if you are living in sin, you are not a Christian. If you are living in righteousness, you are a Christian. That's really the kind of basic test that it was giving to us. And it's one of those tests that all of us surely should be able to, to just judge our own hearts. So what attitude do I have towards sin? What attitude do I have towards righteousness? Sadly, a lot of people 
live hypocritical lives when they are in public and before righteous and godly people they, they pretend to also be righteous and godly but behind closed doors in secret they are actually living in sin and it's just a waste of your own time doing that because in the end your life will still be exposed in the end God will still send you to hell that's what we saw there but beginning last week we entered into verse 11 of chapter 3 of first John and saw that John now began to use love as a test of salvation and he began by saying in verse 11 this is the message you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another in other words love as a test of salvation is nothing novel it's nothing new it's not something that is being sprung up by surprise and you were not aware that this is the way it's supposed to be when you go to the beginning you find it's exactly the same message the beginning of the gospel message uh, the beginning of uh, the bible itself right throughout god demands love as basic as as proof that people belong to him because he himself is a god of love uh, today we're looking at verse 12 and verse 13 of first uh, john chapter 3 and in it we see the apostle john using a contrast in order to make his point the contrast is that of cain and he simply says we should not be like cain and this is a regular way in which even parents often try to teach their children you don't just teach your children positively that you must be like this you also teach your children negatively by pointing out individuals who have messed up their lives and you say you see you must not be like your cousin and you mention a few names your cousins don't be like them because if you end up being like them this is the way your life will end up being so you teach positively and you also teach using negative examples like scarecrows so to speak so that your children run away from that kind of uh, behavior due to the consequences that invariably comes so what do we learn from Cain that should be a warning to all of us today what do we learn from there well first of all it is the fact that the unconverted heart has the nature of the devil the unconverted heart has the nature of the devil and consequently it is destructive even to those that it is supposed to be affectionate towards it is destructive even to those that it is supposed to be affectionate towards and this is what john draws our attention to as he brings in cain look at that statement in verse 12 
the first half of verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, obviously, John takes it for granted that all of us who are hearing him or who are reading what he has written know about Cain. I would not take that for granted myself. So let me ask all of us to turn to Genesis and chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And we will read the first eight verses there. Genesis chapter 4, the first eight verses. The Bible reads there, Genesis 4, the first eight verses. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. What we have in this passage of scripture, first of all, uh, are the two first brothers on the planet. Prior to this account, we just had Adam and Eve. But now, we have had Cain born, and we've had Abel born. Later on, of course, more brothers and sisters were born from these individuals. But what we have here is a situation where you would expect that these two brothers would love each other. They are the only two brothers on the planet. Well, actually, that's not what happens. One kills the other. Now, those of you who are parents might, uh, rather, those of you who are not parents might be very surprised about this. Those who are parents are not surprised. Because you find there's a phrase in English called sibling wars. If you've never heard of it, blessed are you. 
in homes brothers and sisters can hate each other so much that they are often fighting fighting over food fighting over toys every so often a tumbler crosses the floor a brother or sister ducks why because this one has done this and i'm angry and so on almost killing each other that's what we have here but this particular case it wasn't almost killing each other cain offered a sacrifice to god which god rejected he noticed that abel his brother offered a sacrifice god accepted it as a result of that cain was angry and in the end he killed his brother why well we are being told the reason first of all is to do with his nature john says here cain was of the evil one in other words he had a fallen nature a nature which was like the nature of the devil Satan Satan is a murderer the bible tells us in John 8 and verse 44 perhaps let's quickly read that together these are words from the mouth of the lord jesus christ John 8 and verse 44 i won't wait for you to get there i'll quickly read it you are of the father your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him the devil is a murderer the devil has an a, a nature that is destructive a nature that is malicious a nature that ends up destroying those that are around him and what we are being told here is that that's the way in fact we are all born we are all born with a selfish nature a nature that is prone towards hurting others purely for selfish ends and consequently as a fruit of this we find Cain killed his brother now imagine that up to this point no human being has ever been killed no human being there's never been any news anywhere that there's been a funeral so and so has died nothing like that the only death that has occurred is that of animals but here is a man who is merciless tells his brother let's go remember the way the verse put it Cain spoke to his brother let's go God has already warned him that look 
The way you are going about things at the moment, sin is crouching at your door. He's already been warned. But no. He still says to his brother, let's go. And while they are in the field, perhaps his brother looks one way. He takes a rock or whatever he may have used and smashes his brother. His brother falls to the ground, pulls out whatever he was using in those days as a knife. I'm sure they were not yet in the Iron Age. A sharp stone or something. And cuts his throat until he bleeds to death. And he goes back home. In fact, if we are to put together the way in which the Bible puts it, he probably dug into the ground and buried his brother, covered over him. And then went back home. That is what history has been like up to the present day. Human beings continuing to do this to one another. And not just doing it to those that are foreigners. You remember what I mean by that? Eh? Foreigners. But doing it to people that actually belong to them. We already read the story earlier on, although this man did not do it out of malice. But after his concubine was abused, left for dead, he chops her into pieces and, and sends the pieces right across the whole nation to the twelve tribes of Israel. Human beings doing this to one another. And sadly, it happens in marriages so often. That a man murders his wife. A wife murders the husband. Brothers and sisters killing one another. That's what Hollywood movies are made of. It's the order of life. Is what often happens day by day. And John here is saying, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And we often are surprised. We, we, we look at that in, in complete shock. We say, how can it be? The reason we are being told here is this nature we are born with. Who was of the evil one? We are all born with a fallen nature. A nature which is more like the devil than upright angels in heaven. And so, those who are not converted yet still have the capacity in them to do all these kinds of atrocities to the point of committing actual murder. The question I'm asking, therefore, 
is have, have we come round to recognize that if God does not change our hearts, religion, baptism, church going, whatever else we might have, cannot do it. And in the end, we will not simply be like Cain, we will remain like Cain. Full of bitterness, full of hatred, full of malice, and with opportunities being given to us, taking the proverbial knife and stabbing others into the back, unless God brings about that change. John goes on to make the statement that an honest assessment of this destructiveness soon finds that when you look at the circumstances in which people are being destroyed, you find that there is no justification three quarters of the time. There's no justification. And the example that he used here is an important one. Look at the way he puts it. He says, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Then he asks the question, and why did he murder him? Listen to his answer. Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. His own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And in a sense, that's the reason why Abel did not even think in terms of defending himself against his brother. He did not do anything against his brother. All he was doing was in sincerity and integrity, living before God, worshipping his God, rendering to his God that which is his due. But not knowing that while he is doing all these things, living before God, giving to God his rightful service, it is eating away at his brother. He did not realize it. And in the end, totally unprovoked, his brother murders him. What is that saying to you? Clearly, it is saying that this hatred is not justified. It is not justified. It is purely out of the nature of the heart itself. The heart is evil. And isn't it true, dear friends, that it is the same even today? That half the time the hatred and the suffering that you therefore inflict on other people, if you were to bring an independent assessor and you put the case before them, you know that they'll be saying, that's all. That's why you are 
doing all this because of this. You know that at the end of the day, there is absolutely no justification whatsoever. The reason is quite simple. It's your own heart. That's where the problem is. Your own heart. It is evil. It is wicked. And therefore, a person's good life is instead saying to you, if he's successful, then me, I'm a failure. And I will not stand his success. I must do something about it. There, there is a, a phrase that is often used uh, in, in, in the world of uh, uh, the workplace, and it's called PhD, pull him down. If your friend is working hard and consequently being promoted, what do you do? Instead of you working hard, you pull him down. You find all kinds of stories. You cook all kinds of stories purely out of malice so that person can come down, can also be destroyed. Exactly the same thing happens in workplaces, rather, in the home. Your brother or your sister works hard. And consequently, your parents are always saying, you see, you should be like your friend. Eh? Always working, look, look, your friend works hard, look. They're even bringing out his... Uh, uh, exercise books in school. Look. 100%. Look. What's your problem? Eh? You also work hard. Look. Zero. <laughs> and yet, you, you, both of you are from the same womb. What's your problem? After your parents are gone, you go and take his uh, school bag and throw it into the, the septic tank. What wrong has he done, your brother? What wrong has he done? He's simply working hard. But you now develop a grudge against him. And of course, the reading now becomes, you know, he's boasting. Kuyumfwa. He's boasting. The person is not boasting at all, but that's what you are now reading. He's boasting. Look at the way he walks. Look. But when did the walking change? It has changed in your eyes. The bottom line is this. If you don't change, if you do not reform, if you do not repent, if you do not abandon your sinful ways, if you don't do it, you develop a grudge, a self-incriminating grudge against others 
who have reformed, who have repented, who are now living the way God wants them to live. It's the same in the church as well. You find individuals who have reduced their church activities to simply being in church in time for the sermon, always late, and for that matter, just once in a whole month, the rest of the month they are busy doing everything else. They are the same people who hate other believers who are consistent in their church commitments. They hate it. And they start speaking ill of them. They start saying, you know, they, they, they are holier than thou. They are holier. And yet, these people are simply living out their faith in God. They love their Lord. They want to live for him. But those who do not want start persecuting those who want to live this kind of life. And start claiming that they are simply doing it to impress the church leaders, to, to just impress other people, but it's not real. Well, Here's the question. Where does this find you? Does this find you in the situation where you love those that are godly? Or does this find you in the situation where you are a person who is very negative towards those that are seeking to live for God? Where does this find you? Because if you are a person who, instead of admiring the godly and consequently seeking to be like them, you are instead looking down on them, calling them all kinds of names. What John is suggesting here is that most likely it's because you are not yet a Christian. It's not that going to heaven comprises uh, two classes. Those who are going to heaven as a um, business class and those who are going to heaven economy class. And those of you who are economy class should be looking at the business class guys and saying, you know, but anyway, we'll arrive at the same time. No. He's saying, if you have that negative attitude towards those that are simply seeking to obey God and live for God, most likely you are unconverted. And you will discover this on the judgment day, that you were never a believer in the first place. Never. And John is saying here, do not be like Cain. If you are like Cain now, you will miss out on heaven. It is a matter of time. 
Now, before John moves on, he, he quickly uses this opportunity to encourage true believers. And look at the way he puts it in verse 13. He says there, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So he's just, he's just come from this, giving this, this warning, this negative warning. He's saying, don't be like Cain, who, end up, who ends up hating and murdering his innocent brother who is seeking to live for God. And after opening that up, he realizes, look, this is not theory. This is already happening to true believers. And so he turns to the true believers who are the, the objects of this malice and this hatred. True believers who are already suffering because of the malice of individuals. And he is saying to them, so, you know, don't be amazed that these things are happening to you. Don't, do not be in a state of anguish of soul about this because this is no more. When men and women are living in sin, they will hate you when you are living an upright and godly life. And friends, it's true, isn't it? You will often find Christians crying, actually. And they are saying, I, I, I don't know why he hates me. I don't know why my boss hates me. I don't know why she hates me. I don't understand. I, I, I've been searching myself to see what it is that perhaps I am doing wrong, that I'm receiving this kind of backlash upon me. I don't understand. John is saying, why are you trying to understand? Why are you looking into your own life? There's nothing wrong you've done. It is the spirit of Cain which is in all who are unconverted. They hate true believers. You only have to look at what's happening around the world and see, let's use the example of Islamic terrorists. Think for a moment. There are many religions in the world, many. Why is it that it's only Christians that they are killing left, right, and center? Why? Why? Well, the answer is quite simple. There is antagonism in the spiritual realm between good and evil. And the good are those whom Jesus Christ has changed. He has saved them. He has changed them from the inside out. And the people that belong to the evil one, they know it. And they don't rest until those that are walking with God are destroyed. 
Look at the way in which the world treats a, a, a believer who, who goes to church. He goes in the morning, and he goes again in the evening, and then he goes in the, again in the midweek. Have you noticed the way they begin saying, eh? no, it's too much. It's too much. Why? Eh? But do they ever say that about the person who goes to the beer hall every evening? Do they say that? It's too much. Eh? Monday, beer hall. Choose the beer hall. Where's the beer hall? Says the beer. Do they say that? No. Why not? Why should they make such a big issue for a believer who goes to church? Three times a week, just three times. In fact, two days. And then have no negatives about someone who's pouring all his hard earned money, guzzling it down his throat every evening, and then failing to pay his children's school fees. And then the sinner. Oh, here's the point. Here is the point. This is the way Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. And I must hurry on to close. Matthew 5. Just verse 11 and 12. Matthew 5. 11 and 12. It says there, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying rejoice. It is simply evidence that my spirit is upon you. My spirit is in you. That's the reason why the world is hating you, mistreating you, causing you to suffer. Instead of you being all eaten away with grief, wondering why this thing is happening to you. Don't be surprised. There is antagonism between those who have a fallen nature and those who don't. So, as I close, John is saying, do not be like Cain. Where do you find yourself? Do you hate the godly? Or are you hated by the ungodly? Now, there's no middle ground. You can't have both darkness and light smiling at you. It's not possible. The question is, do you yourself, what attitude do you have towards those who are simply seeking to live a life that follows the scriptures and they are doing it with all seriousness? 
If you are one who holds a grudge against your brother or your sister, who takes prayer seriously, Bible reading seriously, evangelism seriously, saving others seriously, it is because you still possess a fallen nature like the devil, the evil one. You still possess that. And even if you are a church member, even if you have been baptized, even if you are one who has Christians as friends around you, you are still on your way to hell. You are not yet a Christian. And it's an important signal for you to look at and go to God in prayer. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ because his blood has the power to free you from sin. His blood has the power to cleanse you completely so that you can now begin to rejoice in righteousness. You can now yourself be pursuing true godliness according to what God himself says. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ and say to him, Lord, this grudge that eats away at me. When I do an honest assessment, I am seeing that it's not really that person and what he has done. No. It's my own love for my own sin. Father, change me. Jesus, cleanse me. Make me new so that I can begin to love righteousness. That I may begin to love your people instead of seeking to destroy them. That's the plea I leave with you. You must set your own heart. You can argue if you want, but remember, these are just tests that are being given to you. They're just tests. You fail, but you hide. On the judgment day, you will not hide. God will bring out the history. He will show you what you have been doing against those who are upright and righteous. And he will say, and you think I'm supposed to bring you into heaven like this. Look at the evidence. You're not my child. You belong to the devil. Go where the devil is. So this is the opportunity for you to plead with the Lord that he might really save you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.